Hey everyone, just want to let you know uh, the episode you're about to listen to. I had uh, Steve Lonnan on, the creator of Flat Bill Friday, real estate agent here in Charlotte. We talked about his brand, the purpose of it, the mission, <clears throat> what's important about it, what he's trying to accomplish with it. We also talked about real estate in Charlotte, who Steve is, his background, um, the nature of real estate in the Charlotte market, and uh, just a couple other topics that I think you guys will enjoy. So hope you enjoy this episode. As always, uh, if you're listening on Apple, make sure you rate it. If you uh, are listening anywhere, take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram, tag me in the story, let me know you're listening, where you're listening from. I appreciate all the support, and I know Steve does as well. So hope you enjoy this episode, and uh, here we go. Welcome to Two Cents Worth. I'm your host, Ryan DePaper. I'm here with the creator of Flat Bill Friday, Mr. Steve Lonnan. Um, we are going to get into what Flat Bill Friday is. Steve, realtor, entrepreneur, creator, father, husband. Did I cover everything? All the above. And uh, I think a good citizen. A good citizen. Okay. That's important, right? I mean, <laughs> sure. I, I would think so. I mean, you don't want to be a bad citizen. That's, yeah, exactly. Um, so let's start off with, because people are going to want to understand this. What is flat bill Friday? Yeah, absolutely. So really it's a mashup of two things and it represents, uh, essentially a mindset, uh, a way of living. And so, uh, prior to my real estate career, I spent, uh, close to 14 years, uh, with some incredible organizations. Um, and, uh, one of the things I learned along the way was just how important, um, working hard and getting great results are, but doing it in a way where it could be repeatable. And so as I progressed through the ranks and uh, developed into leadership positions, uh, I realized that my teams, including myself, we were leaving every Friday. Um, and when we walked out the door, we knew we were either had, we had a great week, a good week, or essentially a bad week. Yeah. And so that um, that that gauge that Friday kind of allowed us to know if I had a great week, how do I repeat that and do that again the next week? If I didn't, what what steps do I need to do what differently to correct that? Um, Friday also is a kind of a unique day, and for most people in the business world, where a lot of the projects, the deadlines, the quotas, all of those things are due on mm -hmm. a Friday, which again allow us to know did we have a good week, a great week, or a bad week? So. Um, and then you compound that with, in a lot of environments, it's a more casual day. Yeah. Right. And so whether it's jeans or just, just a more casual atmosphere or a half day Friday or something along those lines. So really, uh, there was a huge emphasis, um, for me when I was leading my teams on when we would come in on a Friday, let's, let's work hard. Let's hit those goals. Let's hit those quotas. Let's meet those project deadlines. Let's do it in a fun, authentic way where we're getting results so then when we walk out the door on friday we know we had a great week yeah so that's the friday component and okay. then realistically or um and then the flat bill is the i just believe the authenticity piece is so important and so for me i've always wore 
a flat bill style hat. Mm-hmm. And so really just... Which is very popular now. <laughs> yeah. Especially the, the uh, 12 to 14 year old uh, yeah. boy. Yeah. Hugely popular. Um, Which, that's the demographic yeah. you're going for? Yeah. 12 <laughs> well, to 14 year old boys? Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. No, 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 no. I'm going to get in Just trouble kidding. with Disney. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's just my style. And yeah. so if you combine the idea, idea of authenticity, the, what, which is what I, I really want the flat bill to represent, yep. and then the idea of just inspiring yourself and other people uh, to great results and impacting people through those results, when you put those two things together, that's where Flat Bill Friday came from. And you do quite a bit of videos um, on Instagram and Facebook. At Flatbill underscore Friday is your Instagram. Correct, yeah. Flatbill Friday is your Facebook. So people can go there. And, and it's not, I said realtor, but a lot of them aren't around real estate. It's more so just like motivation for the week. And again, like you said, Friday is that day about how to, you know, kind of close out your week and then go through the weekend and get your week started, right? Sure. And so my goal is. <clears throat> wherever I find I've been impacted, I typically want to share that. So sometimes it could be real estate related in terms of how to, uh, how somebody, maybe if somebody's trying to make a decision on what to do, uh, some different ways to think about it, some different tools they have access to. But for the most part, you're right. It's not real estate specific. And that's intentional because um, the reality is, is 99.9% 99.9% of the time people aren't buying or selling a home, yeah, right? Yeah. So like my goal is to meet people where they're at. And if I can make an impact with where they're at, um, that's, that, that's my goal with Flatbow Friday. So what, um, starting a brand and I think brand has always been around, but I think now in the day of social media brand is just much more, out there and like everybody talks about you got to have a brand you build your brand what is your brand and right before we started recording downstairs you you told my son you're you're basically creating your own brand every day whether you know it or not um what's been the hardest thing for you in starting this brand because it and i have a picture and everyone will will see it on my instagram if you haven't already but established 2017 so you're into year full year two right yeah. What's, the, what's been the hardest challenge for you of building a brand? Um, I think it's probably the hardest thing with anything. It's a patience. Yep. Right? So there's a lot of ways that you can grow something inorganically. Um, but for this brand and for me and for everything that I'm about, uh, I, that would be unauthentic. Yeah. So against one of the key pillars of, the, of, of, of what I believe in. So uh, patience, I believe, is probably uh, the biggest thing. And then, you know, there's... We are uh, we're in a day and age where out of sight, out of mind, and you, you so you have to stay disciplined and committed to the brand. Mm-hmm. In terms of there are days and weeks and times where it doesn't always feel I wouldn't say comfortable, but it, you're tired, right? Yeah, or right. It that consistency piece is so 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 important. Where if you do it, you know one day and then you decide I don't feel like doing it for a month. And then you try to do it. That inconsistency is not going to create any sort of loyalty and, and uh, because you're not being loyal to your two right. brands. Right. So I, I would say the, the, just the patience and the consistency piece, um, because when I do bring something to the table, I want it to be something of value mm-hmm. and I want it to be something that um, hopefully impacts at least one person. So I want to be thoughtful about that. And I don't want to just haphazardly, 
shoot a video and throw it up there and say, uh, I did it for the week. I want to, I want to have some more substance behind it. So you're touching on it. So I want to just kind of get it out there. So what is the mission for flat bill Friday? You know, what is your overall goal for this? There are three pillars to flat bill Friday that I want to impact people with, and it's inspire impact and authenticity. I want to hopefully engage people in a way where they because these are all things those three things we all can control and believe it or not even in my life and sometimes even still today like you 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 allow um something else to control those things yeah we all have the ability to inspire somebody or to let somebody inspire us we all have the ability to impact others or let somebody impact us and we all absolutely have the ability to be authentic to who we are and unfortunately we live in a world where uh, we let society dictate how we how we show up versus yeah. allowing ourselves to dictate how we show up. And so um, people ask me, you know, are you trying to monetize this? Are you trying to do Quite honestly, I, I, not at this point. What I want to do is I want to create a positive brand. And if there's opportunities from a business perspective down the road, yeah. of course, I'm going to look at stuff like that. But really, it's can we get people to engage around those three core pillars? And if so, what sort of movement or um opportunity can we will present itself from there so that's what um i get reached out quite a bit about this podcast as well and like you know do you want us to help advertise for you and get a bigger reach and everything and personally if, if anyone's listened to all of them the whole reason why i did this is basically just as an outlet something creative get people over the house people have good conversations people i might know people i might not know mm-hmm. um if it leads to that cool but that's not the point of it it's more so to just have a good conversation and tell a story um but it is always interesting because you do especially when it comes to a personal brand the first question out of everyone's mouth is well what are you trying to accomplish with it you know are you going to try and make this your full-time job or are you going to try and make some money out of it um but that's, I think that's, look, organically, if, if, if it leads to that, I think that's great for all parties, right? For yours and for mine. If not, at least you're still doing something you believe in, right? Like inspiring and, and being authentic about it. Absolutely. And I think what's so cool is the fact that we have all these mediums through video, through podcasts, through social, and through the internet that literally you're creating a legacy through mm-hmm. this stuff. And so if for nothing else, if for nothing else, when I'm gone, my kids see, I don't know, at probably by the time I'm gone, God willing, um, hundreds, thousands of different videos and, uh, and me applying myself and putting myself out there and maybe being a little bit vulnerable and, yeah. and taking risks. If for nothing else, they see that and they have something that they can look back on and then they can share with their, their children and their children's children, then it would have, it would have all been worth it. So, um, you know, there is a business component too. I like, I'm in real estate, right? Yeah. So I, here's the deal. People work with, those people that they know, like, and trust. And so if I can be genuine and authentic, uh, and put myself out there consistently, people start to know me, Mm -hmm. uh, even if we've never personally met. Um, and then those people that start to know me, a certain percentage of those will like me certain percentage won't, which is that's, that's life, right? Yeah. And then, um, through, through that, uh, you start to create trust. And so, you know, if they come to a point in time where maybe they have to make an important decision about their home and they think of me, then 
I, that's the way that that's the way the world works. Uh, so, but I'm not going to jam it down anybody's throat. Yeah. You know? So you've t- you've hit on three things so far that I want to kind of just circle back to is not letting the world dictate you as an individual. Two, being vulnerable, and three, how basically those two build trust with others, right? So, you know, I talk about it a lot on here when I do just by myself or even when I have guests on, I will talk about, you know, when you come on this show, the best thing to do is to be vulnerable because if you're not vulnerable and you're not willing to open up, people can, people can see that or hear it in this, in this instance, hear it for sure for yours. They can see it. If you do a video and it's not authentic or you're not being vulnerable or you're not being honest, there plenty of people can see that. So you're not creating that trust. You're lo- people can look at it there and there's plenty of people on social media. You can look at today and go totally fake for sure. Yeah. Definitely don't want to utilize them or no way I trust them. Um, and a lot of that also, when you get into situations like I think both of us are in where I'm sticking a microphone in front of my face every week you're putting your face out there much more than I do. I don't do a lot of videos. It's more of this mm-hmm. um, because that's just more of what I'm comfortable doing. I don't mind having a conversation in front of a microphone, putting myself on the camera eh, here and there. You're, you're more, that's more of your style, right? Sure. But the number one thing to do when you have that is not care what other people think, right? Because there are going to be people that are going to sit here and listen to this and go bullshit you know, he's yeah. full of shit. Or yep. and there's gonna be other people that are gonna go, I think that's great. He's got a lot of freedom for the fact that he doesn't really care what other people think. Yeah. And I think once you have that mindset and the fact that you you're you're showing that to your kids and as well as, you know, for me, my kids, that's very freeing for yourself as an individual and those around you to say, you know, what Steve's doing, that's Steve. There's no there's no hiding it. There's no persona that's Flat Bill Friday, Steve, and then Steve, right? Yep. There's no, there's no two different personalities. For me, there's no, well, this is Ryan on two cents worth, and then there's Ryan in real life. It's the same thing. It's you know. So you said those three things. I wanted to touch on it because I do see that in you, and especially for you being an entrepreneur and for your business, like it is important that if I was to use you as a realtor or go into business with you or or put something in your hands. I would want the person that I'm seeing that I might not have known and I saw it on social media and go, mm-hmm. that's the person I want. And then if I meet you in person and it's different, I'd be like, well, I've just been completely lied to. Correct. So yeah. I think that's really important for authenticity, which I think is great, which I'm looking at a, how big is this? Four by eight? Uh, yeah, I believe. Like a four yeah. by eight card that Steve gave me. Basically, it's a whole description of Flat Bill Friday and um, the whole purpose of it and everything. And again, inspire, impact through authenticity. So I think that's great. Now, there is one thing on here I do want to touch on because I saw it, and then we're going to get into some uh, other stuff about you. But what is Madeline's Fund? I've seen that, and I see when you've put on Instagram, when you sell a house, you have people holding a pink ribbon. What is Madeline's Fund? Well, thank you for asking. I didn't know you if you would do that or not, and I'm super happy to uh, share. So... Um, Giving back is super important to me. Um, it's just the right thing to do. And so when I got into real estate, uh, you know, we uh, were blessed to help people either, you know, find or yeah. uh, or sell a home. 
and uh, we're we're uh, you know we're compensated accordingly. And so my thought was, I need to give back um, in some way, shape, or form. And when I was starting off, I was trying to figure out, well, who am I going to give back to? There's a thousand, you know, there's a million different ways that you can, and there's a lot of very very important causes and needs. Well. Uh, I was introduced to Madeline's fund through uh, my brother and sister-in-law, who um, whose son was uh, uh, born uh, prematurely okay. and um, had an extended stay in the NICU. And so, um, through their experience uh, and friends, we were introduced to Madeline's fund. And um, I've been able to um, go to a couple of their galas and their charity golf events, and 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 in um, hearing their story and understanding what they support. Uh, and the authenticity and the genuineness behind it um, and the, the local flair or flavor uh, because they are from Charlotte, I, I just I got on board. So essentially what Madeline's Fund does is they support families of children that are in the NICU. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, they were a family specifically impacted by it. So Andy and Rachel Lee, um, they lost their daughter Madeline uh, after eight days in the NICU. Mm. And... So That's what, um, and, and Andy's a professional football player and, and uh, played with the Panthers. He's now with the Cardinals. And, um, and they uh, started going through all these different, the bills and the different expenses. And they, uh, you know, they f- were fortunate to be able to take care of what they had to, but they realized, man, like, like, this is a lot. Can you imagine how many people are negatively impacted by just the expense of a child? Yeah being in the NICU, much less in a lot of cases, the, the, the funeral costs. Yeah. Right. So they started this foundation a couple of years ago, um, to honor Madeline and to support those families of kids that are in, are in the NICU. And they, it, this, these funds go from anything to diapers, to pack and plays, to car seats, to hotels, to meals, um, and all the way up into, you know, funeral expenses. And so, so it's, madelinesfund.org it's m-a-d-e-l-y-n-s fund.org or mad at madeline's fund you can you can see it but i saw that on here and i've I've been i saw it on your pictures on instagram of everybody that you've been selling homes to yeah you have them hold the ribbon which i think is cool because it's a good uh just a reminder um yeah, because as parents, you know, when you say that, that that obviously is that's tough. You know, you you have two kids, I have two kids. Um, but the For fact sure. that your brother and sister in law went through that, I mean, that obviously affects you directly. Yeah, as a and family my, member. And my own nephew, um, you know, he spent two months in the NICU. My mm. sister had him prematurely, and um, and uh, so it's just. It's just a way to give back, and so at every closing, whether somebody buys or they sell, uh, I make a donation on their behalf to the fund. Oh, nice. Um, and, uh, and it's just, like I said, it's an organization I'm proud to support. Oh, cool. Well, anything else for Madeline's fund? Um, uh, you gave out the website. Okay. You can also follow them on Instagram. Um, and, and like I said, they're a great, great group of people. And if uh, you want to learn more, there's a really cool video on their website where Andy and Rachel um, explain in more detail okay. uh, about the organization. And then also for your website, I just noticed that I didn't see it on top. Sorry. Flatbillfriday.com. Yep. Now what, what can people see there? So I, I do, like you said, a lot of the videos, so you're going to primarily okay, the videos see, are on there. Yeah. Okay. And then I, um, I've, I'm on, if you want to just see the videos, um, I've got a YouTube channel, Flat Bill Friday. As well. Okay. Yeah. Can people get merchandise? So Steve brought me a nice hat that I get to wear now. <laughs> so here's the deal. I am. I believe in the law of reciprocity. Okay. Right? So I, I, I ordered 
um, 300 hats when Ooh. I got started and I've given, I have not charged a dime for one of them and I give them away. Um, whether it's, um, an event that I'm doing, yeah. um, or something like this, or, uh, people hit me up on Facebook. I actually had a, um, a police officer up in Kannapolis. He saw my, a bunch of my stuff on Facebook and he was like, Hey man, love what you're doing. So on and so forth, so forth would love a hat. And I actually sent him, I think five or six to, to give out to, uh, the rest of his team. Yeah, so you're smart getting in with the law. <laughs> yeah. Never knowing you'll need them. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. So, all right. Yeah. So if you, no, I'm not going to say it. I was going to say, if you want a free hat, just hit Steve up and he'll give it to you for free. Yeah. I, hey, I, I'm all, all about engaging. Oh, that's terrible. All right. So, um, anything else you want to touch on for flat bill? I think we'll come back to it a couple yeah, times only, in conversation. The only thing I'd say is, um, so it's a flat bill hat. And people yep. are like, oh, I don't wear flat bills. I don't look good in flat bills. I don't care if you wear it backwards, forwards, you bend the hat, make it look like a TP, whatever. I don't care if you cut the bill off. It's not about <laughs> whether the... Someone cuts the bill <laughs> off of the hat. <laughs> whatever. I don't. But you know what I'm saying? Yep. I, it's not about whether the, the bill is flat or not. It's about the mindset. It's about the... Uh, um, yeah, really just the mindset of, a, of how to approach, in my opinion, a, a great way to approach life, people, and, and hopefully yourself. It's a mindset, the message, yeah, and just the overall Spirit. brand in itself, yeah. like the experience of yeah. it, right? So like, um, yeah, I, with the minute you said that I could bend the brim, I started bending the brim. Go for it, man. Yeah, I, I don't need a lot of bend, but I don't, the flatness with the way that my head is, it would make my head look. Yeah, and so, yours, yours is very fitting. I could before I even looked in the mirror, I could feel it with the flat. <laughs> where I was like, "Man, I'm gonna have to yeah. fix this brim before I, uh, no, I start breaking this thing in." That's exactly. It. That's the number one thing. I'm like, I do not care what you do with that. Yeah, um, I like the idea though of it of you calling out like the day, right? Because it could have been you could have created your own brand of something around you know, a flat bill or whatever, but like the calling out of the day and everything. And then like the association to Friday being more of like a casual day. So like, here's a hat, you mm -hmm. know? And I think that's, that's kind of cool because more and more in, in just, you know, the industry as a whole and business Fridays and companies in general are becoming much more laxed in what to wear. It's more about the production of the resource, right? Especially in the world that you used to be in, yep. and that I'm still in, in the technology world. Like, long are the days of everyone has to be in a suit, right? Those are long gone. Right. Now it's like you go into, I support a large financial institution. You go into that large financial institution on a Tuesday, and people are walking around in t-shirts and jeans. You're like, okay, right? right this is a little <laughs> different, but it's it is kind of that mindset now in in the business world too. So. Um, Personally and professionally. It, and the irony is, is Friday, like I said earlier, is I would argue probably the most important day of the work week. Yeah. So it's the confluence of the fact that things are a little bit more casual, but yet it's such, it's so critically important to meet those results and hit those deadlines and get those projects complete. And so I, to me, it's just, I think it's a perfect marriage of like you're casual, you're, but you have to get great results and and, I, and and that's to me where it's, I, I think that's the beauty in it. I like because so many people you, you see out there, they, they, they look at Friday as more of like, okay, just get me into the weekend. Like, yeah. Get this day over with. And then 
there's so much stuff out there also of like people fear Monday. Well, no, you need to attack Monday. Mm-hmm. So you have these two basically bookends of a week, yep. your Monday and your Friday. And I like your perspective on Friday compared to a lot of everybody else's, a lot of a lot of other people's perspective of Friday of, all right, this is it. Just get me through this day and then I can I can have my weekend. Where yours is, no, attack this Friday, yeah. finish it strong, and that will help you into your weekend and then also into your next week. Yeah. Where a lot of people focus in on Monday. Don't dread Monday. Go attack Monday. I like your mindset of, don't look at Friday as like, okay, I'm almost there. Look at it as like, yeah, I'm almost there, but finish strong. Yeah, because if you leave Friday dreading the fact that – just like if you leave Friday not feeling accomplished, well, of course, what are you going to feel on Monday? Yeah. It's like you're you're like I've got to dig out of a hole that I left <laughs> myself two days ago, right? So – yeah, so not to not you know not to beat a dead horse, but yeah, that's to me it's just like it, that's where the mindset, the mantra, the spirit of it, it, it comes from. Okay, um, I want to touch on real. I want to talk about real estate because where we live in Charlotte, yes, obviously some stuff has come out over the last two days. I do want to understand that from your perspective as a realtor uh, and how you got into real estate and what what drives you. Um, but before we get there, we've spoken about flat bill Friday, all of these things we never touched on who's Steve <laughs> for the listener. Yeah. Who is Steve Lon? Oh man. Um, where'd you grow up? What, what, what do you do for fun? Like what, who are you? I, uh, you know, somebody asked me that like a couple months ago and I, some, the first thing that topped, uh, popped to my mind is. I'm just a dude from a small town trying to do some cool shit. Like that's literally. I like that. That's literally what I told him. And he like the guy was like he's like and he just laughed and I was like that's legitimately how I feel right. Yeah. So uh, originally born and raised in Rochester, New York. Um, family of six, so three boys and three girls. Oof. All two years apart. I was the second oldest. <laughs> we were literally the Brady Bunch. Um, if you think about like it was girl boy girl boy girl boy two years apart uh, so wow yeah okay so right. as you can imagine never a dull moment yeah. um super active kid uh, pretty good student um not because i uh, was you know the first person in the library and the last person out but just because um i just figured out a you know a way to learn i guess yeah. but uh but i love sports grew you know as a young kid playing outside neighborhood um i had just baseball soccer football basketball whatever you put in front of me i i wanted to play and i think through that i don't know if it's innate or just through those experiences i just became pretty hyper competitive mm-hmm. um and not in a way where i would undercut people but just i mean if if i lost a game of horse it would just like stick with me you know what okay. i mean and i'm not even that good at basketball but um um <laughs> uh, but yeah so i uh, grew up um in rochester uh, and um i had I, I was pretty good at soccer so i had an opportunity to play at a, a couple a lot of different places and most of the opportunities i was getting was were close to home mm-hmm. in new york and I just, I just really felt like I wanted to give it a shot, and so um, I I picked a couple schools, and this was back before it's not wasn't before the internet, but it was before. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not before not, the internet. You're yeah, not it's old. not before the internet, but it was. <laughs> 
This was before. I mean, it wasn't like scouting as today, where right. you know you had a couple show tournaments and stuff like that. But for more or less, everything was pretty regional, unless yeah. you were just like. Yeah, unless you were on either like a travel team or like you you said, you went to some big tournaments that brought in teams from all over the country. Yeah. I'm right there with you. So I did the club thing and all that. But um, but anyway, so I picked um, so I picked about 20 schools and I sent them tapes. Okay. So I it was crazy. Like I'd have to get in touch with a sports information guy or the athletic department at all these different schools. Uh, and I got all these different tapes and I sent them to all these schools and, and then I try to schedule meetings with coaches off of those, off of those tapes. And I got four meetings and we ended up going to three of them. And that's how I ended up going to camp. Uh, so I went to Campbell university. I had a walk on no scholarship, but walked on and, um, and that's, that's essentially where I, that's where I went to school. Um, Campbell, for those of you listening, East of Raleigh. Yeah. So it's in between Raleigh and Fayetteville. Okay. So it's like southeast of Raleigh. Yep. Um, Division one. Yep. How big is it? Uh, How big is it when you went there? Because there's about 5,000 students. Okay. So, I mean, a decent sized school, but kind of in the middle of nowhere. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Understatement of the day. (laughs) Between Raleigh and Fayetteville, there's a whole lot of nothing. Um, What were the other schools? I went to Wingate, actually. That's where I yeah, went. Yeah, and University of Tampa. Okay, wow, so you were all over. Yeah. I, I just I felt like I wanted to be in the South, and yeah. that's primarily who I, um, um, that's primarily who I, you know, um, I guess, applied to. Yeah. And uh, and those were the three that I... Wingate won the national championship I last know, year. I know, they're good. They, and they had a really good Not program. that you missed anything, because we, we've been graduated a long time, <laughs> but uh, yeah. They uh, same coach that was there when I was there, so it came down to Wingate and Campbell for me, and um, I really liked Wingate a lot. Um, and at the time, they were a top ten D two school, mm-hmm. and they've always had a really good program. And ultimately, I think the swaying thing. I want my original idea was to go pre law, and Campbell mm-hmm. has a, they have a really good exceptional law school. Yeah, and so he had that, and then so that was one thing, and then the other thing was just you know. If I was going to go for it, like D1, you know, I looked at their schedule and, and Campbell Who was playing, playing. Yeah. Duke and Carolina and Clemson and, you know, and so I was like, well. You mean you didn't want to play UNC Pembroke <laughs> and Belmont Abbey? We did and... in the spring. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a warm-up game. Yeah, our spring games were against those guys. Um, but the crazy thing about soccer is, I mean, you can get incredible talent at any level in, in collegiate sports. And yeah. Just, you know, it's just. I think in collegiate sports in general, like yeah. you look now in like the NFL, I mean, there's guys D3 yeah. making yeah. it and 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 a decent career in the NFL, three, four years, yep. make a decent impact, a good paycheck. Baseball, the same thing. When I was at Wingate, there was a couple guys that got drafted out of my class and has been basically since then, you know, a lot of division two mm-hmm. guys as well. So look, if there's so much talent out there now because of just how we approach sports in general as youth uh i don't know if you're facing this with your kids um yet they're they're about my kids age but we're gonna start seeing as we get them into more sports which i hate and i'm I'm gonna try and avoid it as all possible is well you need to oh they're really good at this one sport have them only do that 
And right. I grew up playing multiple sports and eventually it trickled itself out to by my junior year of high school, I focused solely on one sport and that's became the sport that I wanted to play, which is baseball mm-hmm. where now it's like kids like at six, seven years old, it's like, all right, you got to play this one sport because you're really good at it. So, and this is all you do. Um, my word of advice is don't let your kids do that. I completely agree. I, I don't think that the specialization, I mean, um, if you really love baseball and you need to learn how to hit a curveball, you probably need to spend, um, uh, uh, you know, more time learning how to hit the, but that doesn't mean you only do that. Yep. And I, I completely agree with you. I think there's a lot of people that perform at a very, very, very high level that are also pretty darn good at other sports. Yeah. Like Kobe Bryant, Grew up in Italy, and he can play. So- he Exceptional can play soccer. soccer player. Yeah, Steve Nash is another guy. Like yeah. Steve Nash could have played professional soccer. If you, you know, know, he announces soccer games now. Yeah. on Fox. Yeah, I actually, when I was up in Rochester, I did my internship with the Rhinos, and yeah. his brother Martin Nash uh, was on the Rhinos team. That that was funny. So it was a conversation downstairs. Uh, Steve was having with my wife. My wife and Steve actually both worked for the Rochester Rhinos at different times, but. Of all the sports teams in America, my wife's not from Rochester. Yeah. She's from Florida, and her family's from up there, and they did an internship there. Or did you work there, work there, or she did an internship? I did an internship. Okay, so internship, same, yeah. th- same thing, yeah. right? Uh, and the Rhinos are minor league soccer. Uh, yeah, what would were, you attribute them to, like a baseball? Triple A. Triple A, okay. Yeah. So they're one step below Major your MLS soccer, yeah. soccer team. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was crazy because when they started and the MLS was kind of starting as well um, and was not anywhere near what it is today, uh, the Rhinos were getting better players and better attendance. We were averaging 13, 14,000 fans. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. You find those little hotbeds, yeah. those little t- some of those cities, yep. like Columbus, Ohio. Yep. Huge soccer fans. Portland, Oregon has like set the record for how many consecutive sold out soccer games. Mm-hmm. It's like you think like Portland's really that big into soccer, but the Northwest is huge into soccer. Big time. Yep. Uh, like I mentioned, Columbus, uh, Atlanta, of all places, Atlanta won the MLS this year and play in the same stadium that the Falcons play in. That's a 70,000 seat stadium and, and they selling, sell it out. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. I remember growing up. I grew up in Rhode Island. We had the New England Revolution. Yep. Which is still around, but they played in Patriot Stadium and there'd be nobody there. Yep. And there's still nobody there. Everybody got to games. sit in the lower bowl. Yeah, like it's the only the lower <laughs> yeah, bowl and yeah, it's yeah. like the first half of the yep. lower bowl where yep. everyone sits. Yep. Uh, so we'll stick with soccer. Do you follow soccer still? I do. Um, yes. Yeah. Do you mostly, root for anybody? Mostly Liverpool's the team I root for. See, so I had Fielding on. Yeah. Steve Fielding, British Steve. He's a Tottenham fan. You're Liverpool. I'm. I'm a Man United fan. Okay. So once this interview is over, you're just going to leave because uh, <laughs> it's that big of a rivalry. You guys are good this year. I know. First I, place. I, I just love Klopp. I love – and you know uh, my favorite player of all time is Steven Gerrard. Mm-hmm. And it's just – he played in the middle. A legend. tough as nails. Um, he saw the heights of, of soccer success, and he also experienced just some gutting moments. Um, but he's – uh, it's been 30 years since you've won a trophy. I, right, right. <laughs> but he was there when... And, uh, Not to be an asshole. But. Yeah, no, no, no. <clears throat> um, but I I don't have such an allegiance to them necessarily or in a lot of sports. I yeah. don't have a, like, to where You're I can't... You're not a diehard in anything? To where, to where I can't... Res- no, I, I'm to where I can't respect, like, just what other teams do. Like, yeah. Tottenham, for example. I mean, they were 
they struggled for years and years and years, right? And and you just find that right mixture of leadership and talent, mm-hmm. and ultimately you you establish a new culture, and um, and then look at they're at the top of the table. Week a in team week notoriously known for not spending a lot of money. Yeah, and that's a lot of homegrown. Yep, talent that they have. Harry Kane came up through their academy and everything. He's one of the best strikers in the world now. And I think uh, Leicester City a couple years ago, right? That story is... Th- I think so- Steve and I talked about that on here. Did you guys? I can't remember half the time because I do drink during this. So oh, there are times where I'll drink on okay. here and then I'll upload it and forget ex- everything we talked about. So I did one with my father-in-law a couple weeks ago and I just got done driving 10 hours to his house and downed a whole six-pack of... Um, Voodoo Ranger IPA, and Yikes. my wife listened to it the other day. She's like, she's she's like, you sounded pretty drunk. I was like, oops. Oh well, don't remember half of it. But I think uh, Steve and I did talk about Lester and just how like it was like this perfect storm that just yeah everything came together and like the and he talked about just the team aspect of it. Like yeah. everyone did exactly what they were supposed to do every single game. They met the game plan and took guys that normally aren't the most talented, but when you put them together as a team, they were unstoppable. They are incredible. It was the craziest thing, because since then, they've basically finished mid of the league. You know, eight, nine, seven. Which actually is an accomplishment for them, because they were always on relegation lines every year. year Because it was before they won, it was they'd only been up in the Premier League like two or three years at that point, because they were down in the lower league. Yep. It's crazy. All right, so Liverpool... They're good. I I would. I don't know what's worse, them winning or Man City winning the league, because it's basically going to come down to those yeah, two teams no, right now. No Man City. They, no, they've done that. I've, I'm sick of it. Yeah. Um, oh, I just looked at the score for the Duke game. We're, we're up 14. <clears throat> Watching Duke and Georgia Tech in the background, because um, it's Saturday. All right, so let's talk about real estate. Yeah. Um, what got you into real estate? Well, a couple things. So first of all, I I knew if I was going to leave the corporate world, I spent 14 years with essentially the same organization, two two sister companies yep. between the two. But um, where I still work, right? Correct. And so uh, <laughs> I I knew and don't um, worry, no one's listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, I knew if I was going to leave the security in, in quite honestly, I mean, I, I progressed pretty nicely through, mm-hmm. uh, through the ranks and, and got some nice exposure and nice opportunities. And, um, I, uh, you know, I always go back to one comment. So I was doing my taxes a couple of years ago when I was still there and it recently just gotten a, 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 a new leadership promotion and, uh, the, my account looks at me and goes, Oh, they slapped the golden handcuffs on you. And I, we were laughing about it and blah, blah, blah. And a couple, a couple hours later, I thought I was thinking about it. And that, that comment never has still to this day, never left me. The idea of being confounded by something like that, which so, which there's pros and cons, right? Like there's a lot of great reasons to let, let the golden handcuffs stay on. And so anyways, uh, getting into real estate, I just knew like, if I was going to, if I was going to leave something that was that secure and that meant that much to my family, and quite honestly, something I could have had a, a 20, 30 year career in, yeah. I, I had to do something that I felt like I could be really good at. And real estate, 
is one of those things I've been, I was always very active in as a consumer, as a buyer, a seller, mm-hmm. an investor. I've built homes, I've renovated homes. Okay. And so, um, I just I, I knew I knew enough to be dangerous without yeah. actually being in the game. Um, but I think what I really knew is all those feelings that people go through through every one of those transactions because I had been through so many of them myself. So you understand like the uncertainty, the sleepless nights. Uh, I wonder if they're going to accept my offer. The emotional highs right, and lows. Exactly. Yeah. So not only did I feel like I had a good understanding of the IQ piece, I felt like I had a, a really good. I was grounded on the EQ piece of it. So that, and so I was like, I think I can have some success here. The other thing was um, the firm I'm with, Costello Real Estate and Investments, um, John and Natalie are some of my best friends. And so okay. John's story is pretty similar to myself in terms of we both came through the organization together. Um, he uh, he had a lot of success and basically as a top performer in the company, um, decided I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to build my own company. Mm. And when you talk about being at the, when nobody, when everybody's patting you on the back and the bank account, the coffers are just filling up and you, you just cold Turkey, leave that like that takes a lot of guts. Right. And so, um, so I remember thinking about him four and a half, five years ago, probably about probably like a lot of people are thinking about me today. We're like, why would you, why Why would you you leave? Why would you do that? Um, and so they're some of my best friends, and I've seen them build a company and do it the right way, do it through not skipping steps, not uh, putting the customer first, putting the agent first, um, and um, creating a culture. And they purposely didn't grow the company for two to three years because they wanted when they really when they wanted to bring the company to market and aggressively start recruiting and bringing people in when they felt the company was ready and they knew they had to get through some growing pains and it's things like, you know, just different accounting systems and softwares and, yeah. and processes and things of those of that nature. So they wanted to be not fully vetted, but pretty close to fully vetted through that. So when they came to market and really started to build the company, they had the answers to a lot of the questions and these, those answers were above industry, uh, above industry standards. So how big is the company? So, it's a close to a five, it's close to five year old company. We have about 140 agents in Charlotte. Whew. We have um, close to 20 agents in Raleigh. Uh, we have our brick and mortar. We're in South End. We have a 6,000 square foot space up there. Yeah. Um, we have brick and mortar in Fort Mill as well. Okay. And uh, and then we have brick and mortar up in, in in Raleigh. Are you licensed North and South Carolina? Yeah. I have to imagine, right? We're so close to the South sense, Carolina to be, border. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my house right here, we're a mile from the border. Yeah, exactly. Like, I always ask of realtors because it's interesting. With where Charlotte's located, you have to, mm-hmm. like, we just say we're the Carolinas basically half the time because there's so many people that live in South Carolina that commute into Charlotte. But yep. I, do, I always do ask, like, because if anyone is looking to buy or sell a house, Steve can represent you in North and South Carolina. I can. Yeah, I absolutely can do that. All right. So 140. How? So get. Do you? Can you give a comparison of 140 people? What kind of size is that compared to other real estate companies? Is that relatively small, or is that medium size, or a large organization? 
Well, so most of your big names are franchised out, yeah. right? So Keller Williams is the largest real estate company in the world. Uh, but, you know, you, you hear other names like a Remax or Century 21 or um, Allen Tate, I guess. Is local, I was going to say, like, think about like Allen Tate or like Wilkinson. Yeah. So we're still uh, uh, we're still behind them in terms of numbers. Uh, but the growth percentage of growth over time by producer is it's it's pretty much not heard of okay wow yeah it's 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 pretty impressive like when you said like they only five years old i was like waiting for you to be like we got 20 sellers yeah 140 just here yes and then would you say another 20 20 in raleigh Raleigh, okay um what in the charlotte market because I, I used to be in commercial construction, and when I was in commercial construction was the downturn of the economy. Mm-hmm. And we were, from what we saw, because we had offices basically up and down the East Coast, Charlotte was the one, it was like kind of in this bubble, right? Like it it got hit because of obviously the financial institutions here in Charlotte drive a lot of work. But from a real estate perspective, we were always on that cusp of never really taking a huge nosedive. Mm-hmm. So... In the real estate market today that you're in, I have to imagine it's super competitive. For sure. What's one of the most challenging things for you when it comes to selling and buying in Charlotte? I think that I think that depends on the clientele, right? So uh, for some people, it's just your buying power. So you know, if you were to buy a house in Charlotte. And you had three hundred grand. You you almost weren't limited to where you could where you could buy. Yeah. Right. Uh, th- things have changed. Like you're not if you want a single family home, depending on what your budget is, it may the location may be dictated by what you can afford versus where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean there aren't diamonds in the rough and good idea. Uh, you know, good opportunities here and there. But you know, just in general, I think that's that's one thing that people have to consider. Um, you know, I don't, I, I quite honestly, I don't think there's a ton of challenges um, for me as a real estate agent I, I, that are different than any other industry. Um, you know, we're, we're a commoditized industry in terms right. of uh, the way people will look at maybe a, a car dealership or a, any, any other service where they can choose whoever they want, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't look at that as a challenge, though. I look at that as an opportunity. Like, how can I differentiate myself? How can I bring more value? How can I go above and beyond um, just a standard transactional realtor? What can I do if I'm sitting in your living room to uh, beyond saying I did, I sold 100 homes, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's really important, but what what more can I bring to the table? So um, I think the challenge is more, more lie in... Um, a client by client basis and understanding what their goals are and are, do they have realistic, realistic expectations based on, um, you know, those goals. How do clients find you like you as a realtor? Cause I want to try and use some of this time as well to, cause I think real estate, you see a lot of these shows on TV, right? Yeah. And I think it's, it is this, it's almost a real estate agent. And that you might think differently because you're actually a real estate agent. But yeah. like I look at it as a real estate agent, you look at what's on TV, the way that Charlotte is, it's almost this glorified position 
because of how it's portrayed in media and everything is you can make so much money doing this and clients just flood your doors. How do clients find you? Yeah, so that's the biggest misconception out there. So to put things in perspective, in uh, 2007, 2008, as we're coming, as we're in, in the recession and then coming out of it in 2009, yep. um, there are about 6,000 real estate agents in the Charlotte, greater Charlotte area. Um, and that's that's Charlotte and the nine surrounding counties. Today, there's over 14,000 real estate agents. <laughs> oh so in 10 years, uh, the number of agents is more than doubled. And a lot of that is due to the fact that the the um, it's it's glamorized and glorified yeah. the way that it is. But what most people don't understand is the um, attrition rate is through the roof. I have to imagine it's eighty percent of agents don't aren't agents in two years. They why they, do you think that not, is? Because it's not that easy. People aren't. <laughs> they're not. They're, it's not like twenty people are knocking on your door every day saying, "I'm looking to buy or sell." Yeah. And the other thing too is you know. Um, as technology evolves, people have access to more information and they, they can, you know, I can't, I've, I've personally gotten a couple calls where people have already found the home they want to buy. They just need somebody to do the to represent them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, in, you know, 10 years ago, that wasn't the case, right? You, you, it was a much more manual process. So yeah. I think, you know, you got some of those things are, are definitely contributors without a doubt. Um, and then whenever you flood the market with, let's say 8,000 inexperienced people, man, there's a lot of people that aren't doing good work and create negative industry perceptions and, um, and, and rightfully so consumers become leery and, and, um, there's a lot of techniques out there. It's funny because as I was considering the career, I started, you know, talking to a lot of people and then I'd get on YouTube and find out and like, what do you, you know, how, what are successful agents doing? And I, I learned a lot of good stuff, but I, I actually feel like I learned what not to do, oh, Okay, ter- you know, in terms of uh, like, my goal isn't to sell somebody into buying or selling a home. Like people internally are going to figure out when the right time is and they're going to, sure, I'm going to give them information that's going to help them make their decision. But um, kind of being the sales guy to, to say, hey, you really need to do this now and convince somebody that way. I'm not like I, I just believe if you have to pull somebody into something, you're going to have to drag them through. And it's just a painless process for everybody. Yeah. So that's just not my approach. But there's a lot of techniques out there by, quote unquote, top producers that that try to teach people how to pull them in. And, and I think what happens is, is that just pushes people away. Right. Um, so my approach, I, a lot of it actually comes from my recruiting experience as a recruiter. The first thing I try to do was actually talk somebody out of a job because, right. I called it reverse recruiting because if I can talk you out of the job, that means it's not the right job. If I can put enough hurdles in front of you and you can overcome those hurdles, now we're talking about this being the right job for you. Yeah. Right. And so I, I kind of approach um, real estate the same way. Like I try to find all the gaps of why it might not be a good idea because once those, because a, if there are gaps, then, and it's not the right time, I've just built instant credibility and loyalty and trust because it's in their best interest, yeah. not my best interest. Right. Right. Yeah. You get nothing out of it. I get nothing out of it. Right. In fact, maybe I lost a sale for six months or a year. Yeah. Um, 
But the other reason is, if those gaps are full, you know, we can fill fill in those gaps. Then it's like, all right, let's go. Yeah. And 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 so that's the way I approach the the uh, uh, real estate game. I, okay. Because I get I get magnets in my mailbox. Yeah. I get flyers yeah. in my mailbox. I get pictures of my house and how much they can sell yep. it for in my mailbox. Yep. So it's always interesting to see. Because it's a game, right? Like anything <clears throat> that is basically around sales is a game. Um, I went to this was years ago when I first got out of college. I went to this big speaking engagement for the company that I was working for. They sent me there. It was it was in Charlotte, and um, I still remember this because you were talking about you know getting into real estate and you know you're you're not getting flooded with people. It was this guy that works for I want to say Remax. And he's out in Arizona, and he's been doing it. He's basically like the number one real estate agent for them. Mm-hmm. This was like 10 years ago. And he talked about how he finally got his first sale because he kind of entered the real estate game the same way. Like, okay, I'm an agent now, so people will just start calling me. He's like, and no one was calling me, and I wasn't making any sales, and it's commission-based, and I didn't yeah. have any money. He went door to door, neighborhood to neighborhood, knocking on people's doors going, do you want to sell your house? And he's like, I heard thousands of no's. And he's like, and I finally got that one yes. And he's like, and that's kind of what jump-started me. Yep. He's like, so there's all different approaches to sales and, and how you can get clients and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always do laugh. Like, if I get a magnet, I'm like, sweet, something else for the refrigerator. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to use you. I have no idea who you are. Right. Um, but at least I got a magnet out of it. And then it's also nice to see what the comps are around around our for neighborhood, sure. which is always interesting. Um if you're going to give, and it, basically you did it, but if there's any other advice that you would give to somebody who's thinking about going into real estate, what would it be? Uh, I think it would be two things. One, what's your plan, right? So, uh, and it's not just in real estate, but I see this so often where things sound cool and they look cool, but like really what is your plan? Like, how, And so what do you need to make a year? Or what's your goal financially mm-hmm. or career-wise with real estate? Reverse engineer it down to does it make sense for me to do this? Yeah. And I know that's – I don't know if that's a you know um, an answer everybody can maybe understand through the podcast. But um, you know if you are used to a certain um, income or you need a certain income, like – you need to make sure you're willing to do whatever it takes because it may take knocking door to door. It may take 16 hours a day. It may take those things uh, that aren't comfortable to to do that. Yeah. Um, because it's getting your license is not. It's honestly, it's not easy. Like the test itself, it's not, like it's not rocket science. But if you don't apply yourself, you won't pass it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it takes time and it takes money and all that. So I would really just encourage somebody like, A, why do you want to get into it? And what are your goals for it? And then reverse engineer down and say, all right, am I willing to do those things? Hmm. Because it's, I mean, it's not easy. Um, and whatever your strategy is, if it's knocking door to door, if it's buying a bunch of swag and mailing it out, uh, or if it's, you know, cold calling for three hours a day, or if it's, social media, which happens yeah. to be kind of what, what, what my strategy is, whatever it is, um, you, you just need to know, like there's, there's no silver bullet. Like yeah. it's going to take time, effort and all that. <clears throat> you said it earlier on how you're, you're very competitive Yeah, and you get upset if you lost a game of horse. Does that drive you in real estate? Do you enjoy like the negotiation? Like, and then not to say 
to win, but say you're in a tough negotiation with another realtor, do you enjoy that type of interaction? Is that what drives you or what drives you in real estate from a competitive perspective? All right. So there's two things that drive me in real estate. One is I know how positively I've been, how much my own personal experiences uh, um, have fueled me, right? Mm -hmm. So my first house I ever bought was in 2005 before the recession. And I was referred to a realtor and he said, talk to the bank. And so I'm first job out of school. I'm not making very much money at uh -huh. all. And I call the bank and they said, they said I could go up to $450,000. Right, I'm glad right? you said this because me and my <laughs> wife went through the same thing, which is, which is also good that I would say we're, we are all educated. Me and you are educated in this because I'm, I'm hoping that you didn't buy a $450,000. No, no. Okay, good. So I was like, oh my God, I'm going to buy it. You know, like I can buy a house in Myers Park yeah, in 2005 right. for 450000 right? <laughs> and so I'm like, I just felt like, you know, I was floating on air. Yeah. So I tell my realtor uh, that, and he's like, all right. So we go, we start looking, we not at $450,000 houses, but my budget, I think at that time was close to like one fifty. Yeah. Uh, for a monthly payment perspective. And, um, but I started sending him these $240,000 houses and 200000 and so after about, he was patient with me. Yeah. And after probably four or five, he's like, Steve, why don't we go back to these two houses? And there are these smaller 13, 1400 square foot ranch homes um, off off Park Road in kind of by the Quail Corner Shopping Center in okay. that, South Charlotte area. Yep. And lo and behold, we, we ended up buying, I ended up buying one of those houses. And through his guidance, he's just like, I was a single guy, first job get into a conventional 30-year fixed, it just do the safe thing, do the smart thing. And that's uh, that's ultimately how... So it set me up for... I guess it set me up for life, honestly, and not, not in terms of getting rich, but it set me up as an invest from an investment perspective and really yeah. understanding how to approach real estate and like buying what I could afford. And now I still have that home as an investment and um, it'll pay for maybe a college education or a wedding. Oh, or, you, or you have that as an investment yeah. property. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so I saw how that impacted me. Um, and then I was, we were able to do some more stuff and some more stuff. And so um, I guess in terms for me getting into real estate, it's, I, I, the competitive part about it is how can I help somebody be in a better position because of the transaction we just did? Mm -hmm. And I also really do enjoy the negotiation. I was going to say, do you enjoy the negotiation? I do. I always, the only thing I don't enjoy is that I'm negotiating on somebody else's behalf and I never want to let them down. Yeah. Right. And so I always want to, I'm always trying to get them the best deal possible. Like if I have a buyer, I want them to walk into as much equity as possible. Right. You're in a multi-offer situation. They really want the house. Maybe they, lo maybe we lost the first or the second house um, through a multi-offer. It's like, you, you don't want to keep, have to keep going through that process. So you know, you have to maybe get a little bit more aggressive or you have to get more strategic. And the cool thing about real estate, everything is negotiable. So um, I just think there's some things that I do that I make sure there's not gaps in my game. Yeah. So a couple examples would be um, I call every single agent whenever I put an offer in. And people would say, of course, why wouldn't you? I can't tell you how many times I'll just get an email. I'll never hear from somebody and I'll get an offer on one of my listings. And to me, it's like, 
you're setting the tone for yeah. how much work or effort you're willing to put in for your for your for your client. Um, another thing I do is we write a letter to every single anytime we put an offer in on a house, we write a letter on why we want the house. We try to create an emotional connection with yeah, that right, because that's what it is, right? right. I mean, exactly. this isn't this isn't like commercial real estate where it's like, okay, I'm buying a building for my office. You right. know, it, this is where you might raise your family, right. or it's your first home, or it's your last home, or if it's your transition, or, you know, whatever's happening in your life. There's emotional attachments to mm-hmm. basically where you live your life, and not everybody cares, but a lot of people do. Yeah, and what's the harm in doing it, right? So there's just certain things that I like to do. And then, um, you know, if we can be strategic through those conversations, what really matters most to your buyer or to your seller? So if I can, obviously the price point matters, right? right. But outside of that, like what matters at the closing date? Is it, uh, you know, the due diligence period? Is it like, because if there's things that don't matter as much to us, but they matter to them, then let's just put a win-win together and everybody feels great about it. We, we've we been in this house six years and the house that we sold was off of Carmel and Johnson in South Charlotte. First home we bought in 07, same type of situation, right? My first job out of college, Lindsay's first job out of college, we weren't even married, we go to the bank, the bank was like, <clears throat> $250,000 loan. <laughs> we were like, okay, what would that be in a mortgage? We're like, no way, no that's way. more than we make right, right. in a month. But um, we sold that house, and the thing that we did that was that I thought was creative with our realtor at that time was we wrote. Not only did we have like the flyers and everything when people walked in, you know, the booklets, but yep. we also had ten things that why we like this house. Like, what are the ten things in and around this house that we like? And it was basically the neighborhood. You walked out of the neighborhood, and across the street was the entrance to the Greenway. So it was mm-hmm. like. If you're into running on the greenway, there's that. You know, we're close to shopping. We're close to bounce. You know, so there's all these things that yeah. we put on that list of like trying to create that emotional connection of well, what did we love about the house, and why might you love the house? You might not connect to all of them, but there might be one in there that goes, okay, that's yeah, that's what I was looking for. Right. And so that's that's interesting. That creativity around creating some type of emotional mm-hmm. bond to a house. Yeah, we um, in the way I learned it is really early on. We a couple months in, I put an offer in for somebody um, for they wanted to buy an investment property, and uh, we we put a great offer in, and we lost it. And I called the agent. I'm like, "How the heck do we lose this offer?" She said the other person wrote a note, and the the seller connected to it. It was just like. Oh man. So I was like, well, that's not going to happen again yeah. ever. Right. And so just last night I put an offer in for somebody. We were walking through the house, beautiful little starter home, nice backyard, all this stuff. But you, you walk through the house and you can kind of tell how the owners are living in it. And it was probably a young family that's growing. Well, my clients are a young couple recently moved to the area, recently married and want to start a family. And so it's like, I'm sure there's some connections there, right? Yeah, right. That's where they started their family. They're moving on to probably something bigger or, or that's going to, you know, help them get to the next stage of their family. And yeah. now, you know, my client is a young family, essentially probably going to do somewhat the same thing. So yeah. anyways, th- those are just some things that I do. But I will say this about the negotiation piece. A lot of people think it has to be contentious. 
And I, I think it could be further from the truth. I think the best deals that I've ever been a part of is where I'm working with another great agent. They're crystal clear on what their client's expectations are. I'm crystal clear on what mine are. And we let our egos, both agents, get yeah. their egos out of the way. And they say, my buyer wants to buy something. Your seller wants to sell something. Let's figure out a way to make this work. Right. I think those are the best. Um, well, I think, again, we go back to, and I, I brought it up earlier, the perception of real estate agents from what we see on TV. Yeah. The negotiation. Nothing's fun about watching two people get along and get a negotiation done. <laughs> like, that doesn't create good television. Right. Good television is two realtors going head to head and creating a lot of drama around something and showing that they care more about their client than the other person cares about their client type mm -hmm. thing, right? It's that... It, it is creating that contain, contentious atmosphere. And it's like, man, that's, ooh, yeah, that's what I want to do in real estate. I would I would much rather have a situation like you're describing where it's like, all right, <clears throat> I know what you need. You know what I need. What can we do to get this thing done? Right. Like, let's let's th throw the BS out the window. Let's figure out what we can do to get this deal done. Right. Because it's in everyone's best interest, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And I mean, I've... I it doesn't always go that way. I'm not going to like say yeah, they sure. all go that way. But, you know, it's like, hey, now at the end of the day, my our job is we have a fiduciary responsibility to our clients. So we absolutely have to, whatever they tell us from a negotiation, like we have to follow. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't educate them around, all right, hey, like if you really want to hold firm on this, we potentially, and they don't want to agree to it, we potentially lose it. And that means we're at the back at the starting board. So like, or, or starting block. So you you have to make a decision whether or not what what level of value you put on potentially going back to the drawing board. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I was just in one a couple last Monday where it was like we were me and the other agent were communicating very well together, but we had a we also had to like draw a line in the sand, and like I was like, hey, we need ten thousand more. Like it's not negotiable. We're not signing anything. And it wasn't comfortable for me to have that conversation, sure. but my job isn't to be comfortable. My yeah. job is to represent what the my client. clients want. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyways, I, I, but I do enjoy it. Yeah. Um, what's been, and I don't even know if you could, you might not be able to answer it because it's just so many transactions. Is there, is there any like particular transaction or sale or house in particular that's been your favorite? You don't need to name the neighborhood no, or the yeah, person yeah. or anything like that, but like, is there any particular like person or anything that you've that just stands out? Um, of course, you want to like gravitate towards like, oh, I listed the house and I got twelve offers in twenty four hours, and I've been blessed. Like that's happened. Yeah. Um, Man, I think one of the things I one of the things I really enjoyed was um, I've had a couple situations where I've been in multi-offer situation, and we've either gotten the house for less than list price, or I've had my people walk into equity. Oh, wow! And I just think, and especially, and I've 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 worked with. Um, people at all stages in their buying careers, like first time home buyers. And then people that are very, pretty savvy in terms of they've been, been around the block been doing it. Yeah. Um, and going back to kind of my story about how I got great advice for my first home and it's helped, helped me throughout, you know, um, 
I've been a couple multi offers for first time home buyers. And when they get an appraisal back at 10 grand more than they're, than they buying the home for, and it was a multi offer and it's less than like, that's, I don't know. I, those things kind of stick out to me. That's a win. Yeah. It's a huge win. Yeah. Um, I want to hit on the tax. Oh, that's fun stuff. <clears throat> I think that's, but I think it obviously hit Charlotte this yeah. week. So Charlotte Mecklenburg, the the county of Mecklenburg that we live in, did a tax evaluation. You have to do it for the state of North Carolina. You have to do it every eight years. Octennial schedule. Correct. Yep. So the last time we did it was 2011. So it just came out. Um, and the way that Charlotte is, if you don't live in Charlotte or, or you're not familiar with Charlotte, Charlotte is a very... You open that right in front of the mic, man. It's an it's a incredible sound when you open a beer in front of a microphone. Um, Charlotte is a growing city. On average, it's like 70 people move here a day. Something yes. like that, right? Charlotte, yeah. Yep. Charlotte proper. Correct. Right. Mecklenburg and all the other surrounding yep. counties. So it's a large city that continues to grow. I think we're the 16th largest city in the United States now. Correct. Something like that. Um I've lived here since 99 and 99 we weren't like this. No. You know, where my parents' house is in Blakeney, Blakeney Shopping Center didn't exist. Right. Like we lived we moved in this neighborhood and I'm like we live in the damn country. <laughs> like we're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um but Charlotte is a large and growing metropolitan area that has always been since I've lived here in 99 a very competitive area. I I even said it in the recession the recession hit Charlotte because of the financial institutions, but it never really got crushed like a lot of these other cities. Like it was still growing at the time. Yeah, you know why? Because the banks were laying off permanent headcount and backfilling them with contract headcount. So yeah. if you worked at Big Bank Number One mm-hmm. as a permanent person, you got laid off. You would walk across the street to Big Bank Number Two and as a contractor. And in some cases, making more on an hourly basis, right? Without Not, some without of the benefits. the benefits, right? But that's fine. But yeah, and have a job. So yeah, not to you know, not to yeah. derail the conversation, but that is part of the reason I I, I do believe we didn't. Get, Why didn't we get killed? Right. Correct. Yeah. So in the eight years since 2011, since the last time we did it, Charlotte has just continued to grow, and neighborhoods have continued to grow and neighborhoods that were less desirable eight years ago you mentioned where your office is in south end i worked next to your office i worked in that building the two-story building i I worked for a construction company there and when i worked there you know we had the gate and everything that would open and close after hours and you know you 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 would leave that area because it was a very industrial and low-income area Mm -hmm. fast forward to 2018 it's basically the fastest growing neighborhood around right south end is incredible and all these surrounding areas Old Charlotte gentrification is mm. happening. So yesterday, yesterday or two days two ago, days ago I think two days ago, good. the city gave out the evaluations of your house, my house, desirable area of town. I've lived here six years. Our tax went up over a hundred thousand dollars, which actually isn't horrible from a overall payment right, perspective. Right. But I heard that there are some neighborhoods where like. Two hundred fifty thousand to three, four hundred thousand dollar differences from when they was in two thousand eleven. Now, as a realtor, I want your opinion on this. Is this a good thing for real estate? Take the people out of it, because everyone wants to hold on to the emotional attachment of the person that's lived in this house for sixty years. For the city of Charlotte and for real estate, 
is what happened two days ago good for the city? Good for the market. Man, I'm not, uh, I am always one, I'm pretty risk averse in making proclamations. So I probably will say time will tell. Um, here's, so I live in one of those neighborhoods where our number went up exponentially. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah you live in a neighborhood that I'm yeah. sure got. And so our number, we were, you know, we were like, oh my God. <laughs> now, here's the thing. We, we knew it was coming and, um, and so, but it was still sticker shock because when you're looking at your assessed, your tax assessed value versus your appraised value, we have been seeing for eight years our appraised value going up, yeah, but our assessed value staying the same because it was assessed eight years ago. Yep. And so it's kind of like you can't have your cake and eat it too. Am I somebody that just like, hey, let's just start throwing out cash and you know, am I somebody super excited about taxes going up? No. But at the same time, we also enjoy a lot of you, – you see what's happening in the Charlotte area and in the market and, you know, the public transportation. I mean, we're turning into a big city. And so, yeah. like, what do you do? I mean, you can't complain about the roads and the bridges, but then – in the schools, but then not be willing to pay more. Um, and so the, – and the cost for everything is going up. So – I think there. I think quite honestly, and I've been starting to do some research on it. Um, I think the assessment process there probably were some gaps. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how um, to what level of due diligence the county had the resources um, and the ability to properly and accurately assess every single property. Um, and I think there's probably plenty of people that have uh, legitimate reasons to dispute what their number is. But ultimately, I mean, we can't continue to expect a higher standard, need a higher standard, and then but then put the same amount of money in the coffer because that's just not realistic. So, so as a citizen of Charlotte and Mecklenburg, what I want to see now is because this came out, I want to see improvements in the school, right? And I want to see improvements in infrastructure because if you just being in con- commercial construction before my my current job. <clears throat> You see it, and I, and I look at it every day. This city's growing, and our infrastructure from a from you talked about like public transportation, our highways, everything they're all undersized. And when I moved here in '99, everyone said we are Atlanta 20 years ago, and that's kind of held true. Like in '99, right. we were Atlanta of what Atlanta was the 20 years previous, and and continuous. The last thing I want to do is live in Atlanta type to where it's constant traffic. Our infrastructure is terrible. Mm-hmm. Where we've outgrown what we have, and ultimately Charlotte is like that. So what I do want to see is when we we have things like this. Yep. I want to see that money go to those things and those right. improvements. Right. I exactly. I think that's the big thing too. So like, um, I, I I've uh, been part. I've been fortunate to be. Uh, uh, participant in a couple different panels and things of that nature. And, um, and I've, I've had a chance to listen to a lot of city leaders and people that are on a lot of these different planning committees. And, yeah. you know, one of the things so that is, is just our water. Like one really big <laughs> concern is, is, um, our ability to provide sustainable, um, uh, have a sustainable system, a water system pr- to provide to people, um, because, of what we currently have. And so, uh, or what we currently have in place. So yeah, it, to your point though, it's gotta be, 
we, we have to start, you know, if we're going to do this, we've got to see the improvements. Yeah. Because I think that's what everyone's concern is, right. is all right, great. It's going to raise taxes. That's fine as long as we see something out of it. I think, right. I think most people, as long as it's not drastic, most people can put some of their differences beside, aside from a political perspective and say, okay, if taxes are necessary, that's fine, but I want to see something. Right. What's the plan? What is it? Right. And it's concerning in a city like ours, a growing city, that there are times where the city will come out and be like, well, we, we didn't really... Like, 485 around the city. I remember, because where I live, it's a two-lane highway, and the city came out and said, well, we never expected the growth to be what it was right it's like do you do you not have forecasts of like what's happening right like for the city to come out and say something like that it was like oh my gosh like oh boy who do we who do we have in charge here that they didn't see it coming it's been happening year over year it's not like this just like overnight yeah. you know hundreds of thousands of people moved here in one one fell swoop so um i wanted your opinion on it because it is something that happened over the last couple of days and it can happen in any city right so for sure and, and just so you guys know like now it, we are on an octennial schedule every eight years well now it's going to go to every it's going to go we'll have another one in four years oh really and okay. after that it'll be every two years oh okay. so this is not like this is not like this isn't the end right by the done your <laughs> you know in six years by the time you're done talk complaining about it going up it'll it, it's the new one will be out. Yeah. So um, interesting. I didn't know it was going to happen every four and then two. Okay. Yeah. So the next one is uh, going to be in four years, and then after that, it'll be every two years. And so, um, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, we're certainly not stoked that our taxes went up. Yeah. Right. And we're going to dive in. And I will say this: as a realtor, um, one of the things that we can do is we have access to a ton of information. Uh, because we have really good tools um, through the MLS that mm-hmm. uh, where we can get very very specific um, information on communities, on neighborhoods, on complexes, on subdivisions, um, and we can break it down by price point and all that. And so uh, I would encourage anybody if they've got a great relationship with a realtor and they're concerned about what number they saw. Maybe maybe ask for some information that could either support the number they got or help them dispute the number they got. Yeah. So um, I know that's something that I've offered to a couple people because we have a, a module inside of the MLS that really allows us to get some good granular information. And um, yeah, the neighborhoods yeah. around the city definitely got yeah we got crushed. You got hammered. <laughs> We're further out, so we it, but we knew it was going to be something. Um, right. But yeah, you guys, I'm sure got. Well, here's the other thing, too, is your value, like, you can't, I mean, you can, I'm not going to tell people what to think, but you want your value of your home to go up. Yeah. You got to, you know what I mean? It's like, well, here's a letter that says your house is now worth $100,000 more or whatever, whatever X amount of more. So it's like, you might be paying more in annual taxes, but the value of your home is, is, is going up. That's not a bad thing from it's, a big picture, you know, big picture. Perspective. Especially if you're in a market of potentially selling, that's not a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. All right. We're going to do um, a couple of quick fire questions okay. for you. I'm going to just, normally I have them written down, but this time I'm just going to go off the top of my head. Okay. And then uh, quick answers, and then we'll finish up with anything else that we didn't touch on that you might want to talk about, because this is your time. And then you mentioned it earlier downstairs. If there's any questions that you have for me, you can certainly ask me 
questions. I have the right, though, not to answer them. You don't. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. All right. Um, Favorite neighborhood in Charlotte? I'm biased. I live in Sedgefield. Okay, so Sedgefield. Um, Favorite steakhouse anywhere? Oh, you had to go there. Because you got New York in you, so... What's the best steakhouse you've eaten at? I've been in some good ones. Have you ever been to Peter Luger's in Brooklyn? I have not, no. Oh, God, it's so good. Um, Only take debit or check. You know, here's the thing. I don't remember the name of the steakhouse. It was in Seattle, Washington. Okay. And I, I'm kicking myself right now. And Is was, it in downtown? Where yeah, is it? it was in? downtown Seattle. And we got this uh, bone-in tomahawk ribeye. Mm-hmm. Um, that just absolutely knocked, knocked my saw. And I cannot remember. And I remember exactly who I was with. And I was at the point where I wanted to like, <laughs> I wanted to cut every morsel of beef off that bone. I mean, so my brother lives in Seattle. So yeah. Chad or my sister-in-law, Liz, if you're listening, <sighs> uh, we need to find a steakhouse in downtown Seattle yeah. that has a bone in tomahawk Ribeye. in downtown, downtown Seattle. Yep. All right. And if they yeah. find that, I'll text you it and we'll. Because uh, yeah, I used to go up to Bellevue a lot. Okay. For work, but I would sometimes stay in downtown. Yeah, so I know there's Seattle's kind of segmented yep. that way. It's not like, you know. Yeah. yeah. yeah so anyways. All right. Um, coffee or tea? Oh, coffee all day. All right. What's your favorite beer? Um, Labatt Blue Light. <laughs> so, because you're from upstate New York. Yes. I know that it's such a big thing up there so one of my best friends preston is from red creek new york yep guy loves labat loves it father-in-law interviewed him a couple weeks ago talks about labat like how they it's just a staple up there but it's a canadian beer because but because you guys are so close to the canadian border yeah it's just there in you know droves I mean, you, it'd be right next, it'd be between the Bud Light and the Coors Light, and you just get the Labatt Blue Light. Little, little bit higher octane, and just clean, crisp, and if you need one or 20, you've got options. Favorite brewery in Charlotte? Oh, man. Um, I feel like you're going to be the first person to answer this differently than anybody else. He's thinking about this. Yeah. This is this is I because I, I do take my craft beer seriously. Yeah. Um, and I really there's things I like about a lot of them, but I probably would say I'd probably say Noda. I just like the you're beer. the first person on this podcast. I've done twenty. You're my twenty third yeah. episode. <clears throat> you're the first person that I've asked that question to that did not answer Old Mac. Oh really? Everybody. Has answered Old Mac. I love Old Mac's setup probably better than anybody else's. Well, they have the best setup because it's just the largest. The space, yeah. But and I, it's my favorite brewery. Is and it? it's base, everybody that's been on the show, favorite brewery. Favorite brewery for multiple reasons. I like the fact that, and not to take against your answer. Yeah, your yeah. answer's great. Noda, gold in uh, American IPA. Yep. Three or four years ago for the hop, drop, and roll. Like the biggest at the Great American Beer Festival in Denver. Um, and it's like the biggest category, mm-hmm. you know, the IPAs. Great beer, a lot of beer, a lot of variety. But what I like about Old Mech is that out of all the breweries around and anywhere you go, 
they're unique. They are. German style they beer. Are. You cannot go there. No, and right. I know a lot of the bartenders there and everything, and they, their biggest pet peeve is when people walk in and go, What's uh, what IPA do you have? And they're like, we're a German, German style. Yeah. We don't have IPAs. Or it's like, I want a Red Bull vodka. We're like, we're not a bar. Like, yeah. But setup wise, the outside with kids, it's fantastic, dude. I can go there on a Saturday or a Sunday and let the kids run around, and I get a couple pints of beer. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been to the new Noda. Yeah, it's cool. Is it? Yeah. Well, and I was reading the Business Journal a couple weeks ago in Marino. The I think Steve Marino is the uh, owner uh, uh, that started OMB. I think John is, or John, yeah, yeah, John. Uh, but they he was uh, nominated CEO of the year by the Business Journal. Oh, really? Yeah, and his, his, the story behind uh, how he started and it's incredible, it's right? Cool. Yeah, so really he cool. he yeah lived in Germany. Yep, in this town. Moved to Charlotte when he started the brewery in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. He went and took the purity laws from that town because in Germany, each town basically has their own recipes and types of beer that they specialize in. Yep. And so OMB specializes in those beers from that town, basically, and their ingredients and all that. Yeah. And you know what was really cool about his story was the fact that he just was like, wait a second, there's a ton of people moving to Charlotte and there isn't one of these here. Right. Yeah. And so just to have the audacity to say there's not anything else that looks like it and we're going to start it and just assume or hope or think that people are. And hey, they uh, kudos to them. I mean, it, and to your point, we bring the kids. They it's awesome. I mean, live music a lot of times. Yeah. So anyways, it's a good time. Yeah. All right. Uh, number one goal for 2019 for you. Doesn't have to be for yeah. flat bill. Doesn't have to be for real estate. What's your number one goal? Um, this year I want to, man, there's, there's a couple things cause I write down my goals every year and typically they're related to business and like specific number here, yeah. spe specific number there. Um, this year I really want to build a team. Okay. Um, yeah. And, um, I, I, I want to build a team and still stay unique to what we're doing and how I'm doing it. And, um, see how that evolves but yeah to build a team this year cool um if you are brian cashman yes of the new york yankees the gm of the new york yankees yes and you had your choice between manny machado or bryce harper who are you signing oh man um i'd probably say harper we just don't need more infielders and personally i don't think we do we Tulowski could probably provide some leadership. And, as long as he stays healthy. Right, right. And even if he doesn't. Um, but I think Harper, you could put it first base eventually if you needed to. Um, I think he's, um, I don't know. He doesn't, like, yeah, he's got the bravado and the all that around him. But, I mean, I don't, Manny's done some cheap stuff that I don't think is going to fly in the in the. In put a left-handed power hitter like Harper in New York, in Yankee Stadium, Yahtzee. dude's going to hit 45 home runs. Yeah. Easily. I mean, I mean, and so if you're going to spend the cash, I don't personally think we need either of them. They're not going to go after either one. I don't yeah. I don't think. I think we're too I, far into it yeah, now. Yeah, I think pitching is more important at this point, especially, like, look at the lineup we have. I, I mean, I mean, I don't think power is going to be our problem. No, power is right? not the problem. A pitching staff, we've addressed that, which is good. Um, and the left side of the infield – 
with Tulo and uh, Lamatthew and I think we're good. But it yeah. it has been a topic of conversation all off season of where are those two going to land. So if you were the GM, you'd go with Harper. I'd go with Harper. I would. And I think you know there's a lot to like about Manny, but I just you know. Uh, and, and then what did he do? Uh, World Series. Yeah, he like, stepped, on, stepped on the foot. Well, well, then he's jogging around bases. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I don't know. I just don't have a tolerance for that, really. But uh, I'd be happy to have him if they wanted him. Say the Padres are in form now. I saw that yesterday. It makes sense. I mean, well, they bring, need somebody. Bring a, bring a name. But if, if you're Manny Machado, why would you want to go to another, not, not to be, if anyone from San Diego is listening, but why would you want to go to another loser? Right. That's why he wanted out of Baltimore so badly. They suck. I think that depends on what your objectives are. If winning a ring and and just being a champion is like what I want to do, then you probably make one decision. If living in San Diego, (laughs) look, I'm not turning down two hundred million dollar contract is like. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to turn that down at all. But still, all right. uh, Last question: Um, Upstate New York or New York City? Oh man. Well. It just depends because I think if it's the old 80-20 rule, 80% of the time upstate, 20% of the time in the city. I love the city, and there's so much to go see, enjoy, and, and partake in. But um, I, I, city to me is kind of like Vegas to me. Yeah. Like three days, good. I Because I'm from upstate, so it's not like I have family and friends yeah. and deep, deep roots. Um, but, man, catching a ball game or a great food or a show or just you know going up – for work or something like that. Like I think a good three day trip into the city, you cannot beat it. I was going to say for work, it is my favorite city to travel to because it is that it is nice. Go in there two, three days, knock things out, but then you leave and you're Mm -hmm. exhausted because it's like, it is that constant, everything always in motion. And there's so much to do and, just the stimulation around it, it wears you down. And then you come back to Charlotte or, you know, in this question upstate and it's kind of that whew, you can yeah. take a breath and get back into routine. And it does, it allows you to not have to be, you know, on at all times. Love New York city, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else that we have not touched on that you wanted to accomplish today? Oh man. I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, you asked a lot of really good questions and, um, I always like when I need to think about things versus, um, uh, just given (laughs) the easy answer, the easy answer. Um, so I don't know that there's anything I didn't really touch on. I I definitely appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about Flatbill and my real estate business and in Charlotte in general. And, yeah, I mean, what's what's next for Flatbill? Is there anywhere people? Because I know you had some speaking engagements that you did with um, in concert with who who was it? Oh, uh, Nate Sally, the Audible. Nate coach. Sally, yeah, 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 the Audible coach. So we're gonna do some more stuff this year. Okay, with Nate. and so one of the things I do like to do is again just a way to bring value is uh, help people educate them around how to build a plan uh, because so many of us whether it's at the beginning of the year, the middle of the year, the end of the year, we have goals, we have ambitions, we have dreams. And what we end up doing is maybe taking that first step, but because we don't have a plan, we don't understand how to manage and work towards the milestones within the big goal. We, uh, we get demoralized, we get defeated and we just don't do it. And so what Nate and I did is we teamed up to really, teach people all right hey what's your big goal what's that big vision what's that thing you want to do and then how do we 
like I said earlier, how do we reverse engineer down to what you need to do on a day to day basis? And there's two things that I think are critical to achieving a goal. It's once you know what it is, mm-hmm. and that is writing it down and communicating it. Because I know for myself, I, I have big, big, big goals, and I've always had them, but for the longest time, I never wrote them down. And then once I started writing them down, I realized there's an increased level of accountability once you write something You're down. You're 40% more likely to accomplish a goal or a task if you write it down. Yeah. So 40% more. And so then exactly. And then, and then if you write it down and then if you communicate it, then the accountability goes way up. Right. Cause now other people, if I tell you my goal is to build a team, right. And we don't talk for six months and I, and we talk again, you're like, how's the team? I mean, how's the team? Yeah. Right. Well now I'm more accountable to building a team because I expressed that my number one goal is to build a team. Yep. Right. So I just think, um, those things and, and in, in doing those things and writing them down and communicating them, what it does for people is it ends up, it gives them, it starts to give them confidence and yeah. it starts to get you. So, um, that's a really long answer to the question. No, of, yeah. We're, we're going to continue to, um, to host more events and, and teach people. And it's not just a business goal. It can be a life goal. It could be a fitness goal. It could be any sort of goal, uh, or it could be a business goal, yeah. but it could be any sort of goal. It's like, what do I really need to do? If it's that important to you, you'll take 45 minutes or an hour to really, um, um, I guess, learn. What do you we, guys what have the venue do. set and date set or are you working? We through don't. That? We've, okay. I think we've got venue set. We've got to lock down some dates and we're also going to do stuff on Facebook. Like we're going to Facebook live, uh, our events and do different things. Okay. So we're want to make it as accessible as possible. So then over the next couple of weeks, months, just, it follows Steve yeah, and you'll be putting that up on your social media yeah. so people can figure out what, what it is if they want to join and where exactly. and what time. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Um, anything else that I miss? No, no, I, I think, think we're good. We got everything yeah. covered. Okay. Cause this is your time for, for you. We're again, people can find you at, at flat bill under, I want to make sure cause it's not flat bill Friday under at flat bill underscore Friday on Instagram and then flat bill Friday on Facebook, Facebook. and, and YouTube. And, and YouTube. it really annoys me. The guy per chance <laughs> and the one in whatever percent chance that whoever owns the flat bill Friday Instagram account that has six followers and no posts. I've DM'd you 20 times. Give me the, give he me won't the, give it to you. He, he won't he answer. Responded yet. Well, it's cause he never gets on apparently cause yeah. he only has six followers and zero posts. I'm like, come on, man. Like I'm it's, doing something here, but it's going to be some bot. It, that it, probably. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably exactly. What it and is. then website flatbillfriday.com. Any questions for me? I'll be honest with you in the spirit of authenticity. I have a couple, but I have to use the restroom. Go for it. All right. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. All right, so you got to go, but quick yeah. questions. Um, so guests in Charlotte, if there's a guest in Charlotte that you could have, like what would be the uh, ideal? Guests in Charlotte, I don't think I, I have an ideal guest in Charlotte. What I want is people that come on here and, again, are vulnerable and have a good story to tell. Because I want to be able to have my listeners connect to something that they've talked about. It might not be a whole conversation, right? You, you might turn this thing off after 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Right. But if in that 20, 30 minutes or that whole episode, if there's something that people can connect to, 
because it's a real person. Look, like I invite people over to my house, right? Like there yeah. might be people that I have no idea who they are. And I'm going to bring them to my house. I want you to be real with me because I didn't bring you into my house, introduce you to my kids right. for you to come on here and bullshit with me. So do I have anybody in particular? Look, I think it'd be cool. Steph Curry, right? Yeah. I went to high, I went to the same high school as him, but that's, uh, you know, whatever. Charlotte wise. No, I just want people that can come in and talk about the city and their story. And it's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, the and the reason I asked that is because uh, I think I brought it up earlier. Like, I just believe in the law of reciprocity, and it's funny how when you can help other people, if you know, and I'm not assuming that I can, but like, yeah. if you can help people and add value to them, how just the I just feel like the law of of, of reciprocity in the universe kind of takes care of you know you. So, yeah. um, and. Uh, I guess in terms of starting a podcast or doing something like that, because that's something else I've thought about this year. Yeah. What, uh, what advice would you have for me or anybody out there that like, Hey, I love the idea of doing something this genuine, this cool. I would tell you the same advice that I got told when I started this. So I reached out to a couple of people that have podcasts and I asked them, I said, look, I've been thinking about it. <clears throat> you know, what would, and I'm not sure if I want to stay on one category or if I, you know, what is your suggestion to it? And everybody's suggestion to me was, first off, don't worry about categories. Don't put yourself into one category. If you're not sure that you can fill a time slot or whatever it is with the one topic week in and week out, don't. Talk about whatever you want to talk about because here's the thing. There are plenty of people out there that are going to listen because they just enjoy hearing people's stories. And that's what I mentioned earlier about mm -hmm. people that I want on. I just want some people to come on and have interesting stories. And I, I get a lot of, well, I don't really know what to talk about. I don't have that most, I don't have that interesting story. And those people are usually the, the most interesting because they don't think their story is that interesting. And yet once they start opening up and talking about it, they actually have lived very complete life or something has impacted them that actually stays with them and they can, they're able to now talk about it. So starting a podcast, I would say do it. You can do it very low cost where if you have a phone, you can get a host site like mine is Podbean. You can directly record from their app from your phone if you want, or you can go extravagant and buy thousands of dollars of equipment mm -hmm. or you buy middle of the line equipment uh, it, there's a little bit of investment there, but the best advice I can give you is if you want to start a podcast, do it. Cause guess what? You can always sell the equipment again. Right. 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 Like all of this equipment came from eBay. I can put it right back on eBay and sell it again. Cause somebody else is going to start a podcast. Right. I mentioned it to you earlier, 630,000 podcasts out there today That's and crazy. growing. So why not? It's almost like this, the business of, uh, you know, I have one as well. Like, yeah, oh, I have that same company, you know, or, you know, IT recruiting. Oh, yeah, me too. I do that too. Podcasting. Yeah, I do that too. Everyone has a podcast nowadays. So right. why not just have yours? And you can talk about whatever you want, right? Mm -hmm. It's just another medium to to attract people. Um, I and it's it. global. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I think is so cool. Like for you today, for Flatbill, like there's going to be people in New Zealand and india and the philippines and spain and sweden they're hearing your story and potentially might go to your website or might look at your profile and 
not from a real estate perspective, but from what you were talking about, your mission for Flat Bill Friday, mm -hmm. that might now transcend to a global audience. So why not try and do that for New Year for the New Year? That'd be a big team. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I'm just talking yeah, about like yeah, reaching a yeah, different type of totally. audience, right? Yep, totally. Because I didn't seek these people out. I have no idea how they found this, but they listen to it right. regularly. So that's sweet. That's it's a long cool. answer, but yeah. Um, I know. Hey, man, that's I'm, I'm excited. I, thank you. Yeah, of course. I really appreciate the opportunity, and this has been super cool. A lot of fun, and um, definitely. I, I always appreciate a new experience. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on and, and giving your two cents worth on the real estate area and market and Charlotte in general and your brand. And again, you know, I think um, you have a very um, unique way of presenting your brand and utilizing basically like a piece of apparel as the basis of it but that's not all of it right like it's just a symbol that is just a symbol and the meaning of it and you know the organizations that you help represent and contribute to i think uh you, you mentioned it earlier you just want to be a good citizen i think you're a good citizen man i think what you're doing for this and for the brand and for a madeline's fund job well done Thank you. All right. Is that it? Anything else? I'm good, man. No, but thank you so much. Flat Bill Friday, Steve Lonnen, local realtor, North and South Carolina. Anywhere else you represent or just North and South Carolina? Well, if you need a good agent up in Rochester, New York, I can hook you up there. Okay. Too. Well, there you go. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Steve. We'll be in touch. Thank Bye. you.